Welcome to the Recovering Academic Podcast. I'm Amanda, and I left academia about one year ago to become a scientific editor for grants and manuscripts and an editorial manager for a science website. I'm Ian, and I've recently left academia to move into a science communication, editing, and publishing career. And I'm Dr. PMS. I've left academia about two years ago to work as a biotech salesperson, and I'm still in recovery. We're in various phases of transitioning out of academia, and we'll share insights, advice, and problems we encounter at each stage. Hi, and welcome back to the Recovering Academic Podcast. I'm here with Ian and Kalady, and we have, for our guest today, we have Jennifer Polk, and she is a career coach and entrepreneur, and she's four years in her current Self-employment. She runs Self-Employed PhD, which is a community for PhDs who are now self-employed. And she graduated back in 2012. So, Jen, do you want to tell us a little bit about what work you do now and what you are and how you kind of got into that? Sure. Thanks, Amanda. And thanks, Clyde and Ian. I'm I'm happy to be here. This is a famous podcast in my world. <laughs> it's yeah, We're happy awesome. to have you as well. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's exciting for me. So yeah, thanks, Amanda. So I do run selfemployedphd.com, one word. And that's like a side project for me. And my main thing that I've been doing for the past four years, uh, well, yeah, okay, uh, is called From PhD to Life. And that started as a blog. And now it's a business. I mean, essentially, I'm a life coach when I do that. Uh, and I work with a couple different kinds of clients. Uh, first group is oh, shit, <laughs> I have a PhD and what's next? Um, and I, I'm mainly dealing with folks who are going into non-faculty careers, although that's not exclusively the case. Uh, and there's a lot of variety from, you know, tenured professors to, you know, early grad students. And anyways, that's one group. And then the second group of clients is the, I need to finish the thing or I need to not finish the thing. I get the hell out of here, but it's the current students. So that's, that's really fun. And then so that's four years old from Peach Street Life. And then out of that, uh, and in collaboration with a with a partner, a business partner, uh, I have another business called Beyond the Professoriate. And so that I do with Marin Wood. And, and that's it's, all this stuff is totally related. I, you can tell I'm, I'm obsessive. <laughs> but <laughs> Beyond the Professoriate is a slightly different vibe to it. It's professional development resources uh, for uh, for PhDs seeking work in non, non-faculty roles. Uh, so we've got our new membership site for that. Uh, it's then the main website is community community and that's if it even though it's not new because we've done a conference every year for the past four years, it feels new <laughs> in some ways. Uh, yeah, that was a long answer to a short question. Lots going on. Yeah, really busy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you decide, or when did you realize that you wanted to leave academia? Right. So I'm sorry, because it's a, it's it, another long answer to a short question. Oh, and also we should probably mention because um, both Clady and Ian and I are all in the STEM, but you got your PhD in a non-STEM his, field. So yes, in this might be history. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's in history. So representing the humanities and, uh, the human, us in the humanities, I mean, not me anymore, because we know better and I know better now, but we always think that you STEM folks have it so easy. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're laughing because we know it's not yeah. true. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. So I, yeah, I did my PhD in history and I finished in 2012 and I, I was, well, I, I'm in, I'm in Canada. I, I went to the university of Toronto and that's where I still live in Toronto. And so it, the R1 isn't quite the right language for this, but I was at a, you know, a, a big research institute institution. Toronto, you Toronto is the R1, like it is it's, the R, it is, it is an R1 equivalent. school. Yeah. It will be an yeah. R1 type institution. Yeah, it's an R1, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you get me. So, you know, I think I was sure maybe in part because of that, there was this assumption that we were all going to be tenure track professors and, you know, mm-hmm. at proper, you know, quote unquote, proper places. Right? Uh, and I and I'd like to talk about it as I got sucked into that mindset, even though that was never my intention actively. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not enter my program wanting to be a professor, um, but you get sucked into that. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're good for. Yeah, there's a real mm-hmm. undertow of that yes. for sure. Yeah. Like, well, it's yeah. kind of it's presented as the default path. Like this is what you mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Like why would you not want my life? I am not sure if it's if it's university size related. Huh. I feel that yeah, maybe if you go to a more R1, the the like more the famous there is your institution, mm-hmm. the more likely that you will be forced or like that people will expect that you go to a to a tenure track uh, position but i feel like it's every like everywhere yeah yeah i mean i can't i I can only speak to the institutional size issue because like people think of r1s as the university of toronto's with tens of thousands of students or the uh, like the land grant schools in the united states but like I went to WashU in St. Louis for my PhD, which is has five thousand undergraduates and five thousand PhD students. So it's not mm. a big hmm. school in that sense, but like you better believe there are like an eight hundred pound R one gorilla in terms of like <laughs> science and research. Like they were very proud of their eighteen Nobel laureates that are affiliated with the institution, <laughs> many of whom yeah. they hired after they got their Nobel prizes, essentially, or like you know what I mean? Right. Just, yeah. Like, oh, they were here, and then they went on and did their Nobel Prize work, and, like, so, anyway, but, yeah, so, like, but, like, even there, like, that's the culture, right? So, it's not necessarily, like, a size thing, either. It's a, it's a culture, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, so I was definitely in that culture. Yeah, and it's kind of relating to see, like, or nice... I, nice bad i don't know awful to see that it also <laughs> extends over to the humanities because i kind of always thought well you know it's or i had hoped it was just a stem thing like it was a hey look at how great my life is don't you want my life like they kind of your advisor kind of has this paternal or well maternal yeah. whatever this parental sort of feeling over everything and like don't you want your kids to turn out like you like same sort of idea yeah and part of the problem is that you know, in a lot of fields, like there's, there are jobs where you can, you know, have a job title that is historian. Like that is a thing that exists, but right. relatively few places, <laughs> yeah. relatively right. few places, you know, you, there aren't so many job titles that there are philosopher or English, mm-hmm. English, English. <laughs> but like, I don't know what that would like, be. I don't right? know. English and like, <laughs> like that's not a job title. Like, so dream job working at Merriam-Webster. Like, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Just yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. I'm going to run their social media. Yeah. <laughs> that happens, yeah. And that happens. And your professors, like they don't, they don't know what to tell you. Um, 
I, it, yeah. yeah, there's a real lack of, of a failure of imagination. Um, and, and, and there's a real sense that if you're not going to be a professor, ideally at a, you know, an R1 or similar, or, at a, you know, a strong slack, if you're not going to be that, then, well, I guess, you know, maybe you could go and work as a journalist or work in marketing or in a museum. But then the challenge, of course, is that all of those other, many of those other uh, industries, they have a particular path to entry. And it doesn't include a history PhD. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you can do an MA in museum studies. You know, you can go to journalism school. Uh, you can do yeah. a degree in marketing. So um, it, it, it becomes a real challenge for folks. Anyways, you know, to get back to your question. Yeah, sorry, we you know, derailed the, you. No, yeah, it's all good. I mean, it, it, derailed, I think, is a good metaphor for this. But <laughs> <laughs> it was a process for me of over time, uh, you know, coming to learn more about myself and what I wanted. And then over time, looking back at things that I had done and hadn't done. And in some ways, looking back and and at the decisions that I had made, and these didn't feel like decisions at the time. But for example, I defended my PhD, and I finished the whole thing in February. So, you know, one decision I made was was that I wasn't on the job market that year. Right. Because I was oh, right. finishing yeah. up mm-hmm. in the fall and finish in February. And I was like, well, I'll do it later. Well, as it happened, I didn't end up doing it later. <laughs> <laughs> but it took me, you know, it took me several months. Um, and I, and I, I think what it went a little faster for me than it might have because I didn't the last few years of my Ph.D., I didn't feel especially uh, connected to a community of scholars or other students in my department. You know, I had had that at moments and I was a super keener in the beginning, but then as time went on, like I had other things going on in my life. So I think that made it easier for me to disengage. But the big problem uh, emotionally was that I didn't know what else to do. So I wasn't Mm -hmm. super thrilled about that path. I sort of came over time to recognize I wasn't super thrilled about being a professor, but I didn't know what else to do. So (laughs) (laughs) that sucked. Yeah. And there's, I mean, going back to your previous point, I guess there's this thing too of, I mean, you know, as an academic, you're literally sort of trained to be a professor, but only sort of. Like Only trained, sort of. <laughs> right. You're trained in the research aspect of it, for sure, but that's about it. And then... Yeah, some some schools you can TA, so then it helps a little yeah. bit yeah. to have some teaching experience, but definitely you're not... Uh, trained to be a uh, uh, to go to tenure track to like write grants, write the budget, uh, right. yeah, hire people, choose uh, students, choose technicians. It's all a lot of administrative work. Yeah, yes. I mean, there's this sense yeah. of like being hyper accomplished and talented because you uh, you essentially wrote a book to do a PhD, um, and but then also feeling like there's all the question marks about like what are you qualified to do exactly like in the wider world if not academia and like it's really not an easy question to answer right yeah. i mean yeah I'm still yeah i feel the that the the panic this is a common feeling in everybody that wants to leave and then okay i i decided that i don't want to do that but then you you just feel that that's the only thing that you know how to do. That's, that's the only thing that you've been trained. So then yeah. you kind of like, 
I cannot do anything. I wasted five years of my life. <laughs> I mean, I think this actually brings, like, I mean, sorry, can I ask the next question, Amanda? Like, the. Sure. Um, of course. Like, you yeah, know, I mean, or the next question. Of, like, because it sort of brings up, like, you know, like, what was the low point of your transition hmm. um, from, you know, from PhD to your life? Or was there yes. a low point in your Or was there a low point? I yeah, guess that's a good question, too. There may have. not have been one. Okay, yeah. I'm making assumptions. You're right. I shouldn't do no, that. No, but I, you know, I think that's fair. <laughs> um, and it, so what comes to mind is, so I finished in February and I graduated in June. You know, that probably makes sense to you guys how these things work. Yep. Uh, and, and the graduation, I, I say that because it was a, it, it was significant for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the motherfuckers couldn't take it away from me anymore. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so that was significant for me, but, and I, I sigh again, I felt increasingly frustrated with myself, with my situation, because I was working um, freelance. So I, I was working, but very occasionally. And so part of my story is that I had a significant amount of savings, which it obviously is a good thing. Um, but it meant that I didn't have a, you know, a gun to my head, if I can use that right. metaphor. So I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't applying for full-time work and I was working freelance. Uh, where am I going with this? Right. I was just feeling increasingly like a, like literally like a loser with a PhD because I did not know what I wanted. I remember I was lo I would look at job ads on the regular and I would, you know, read about people's careers and I was kind of like, "Eh, about all of them." And and eh, but you know, I guess I could do that. I mean, I guess I could do that. I guess it but that's not you know, That's right. not very But you there know. was nothing that you it really yeah. you were passionate or about, yeah. right? Got you excited. Yeah, and that sucks, right? And it's hard <laughs> to make yourself do something when you know i had savings it was all right i was living cheaply i i really wanted to have that like yeah that uh and of course you know no one's gonna hire you if you're like eh. <laughs> right? Right. So, that comes across in interviews where you're kind of right like, eh. yeah so you know it's not like i was gonna have big success even if i was applying for stuff so that that wasn't very good i mean my low point you know maybe it's different from other people is because you know i was totally fine financially but psychologically, like it was no fun. <laughs> yeah. And and I, you know, I'm I'm sure, and I know this, that I was increasingly unpleasant to be around because I just, you know, get sarcastic and judgmental and just unpleasant <laughs> when I feel like a loser. So. Yeah, so it's not fun. Whenever you feel, uh, even though you had savings, you knew that one. One, there will be the point that they're going to end. So it was yeah. like a temporary thing. Yeah. And then there is the pressure also mm -hmm. that you have to decide what you want to do because then you have to start applying because it's, it's not like, okay, now I know what I want to do and I've just got a job. You know, you have to work on your resume and yeah. all those things. Yeah. And you can't work on a resume, not really, if you're if you're looking at 17 different types of jobs and you're thinking, I guess I could do that. <laughs> you, know, like you can't really, like you can't have to tailor it. It's not going to work. No, no, it's no, not going to work. I understand that. Cause like my last year before I was, before I fully transitioned out of academia, like I just was sitting there going, but I don't know what I want to do. Or I like doing like, well, I talked, I mean, we talked about this. I can't remember which episode I'll put it in the show notes, but, um, 
we talked about getting help. I think it was episode 12. And I mentioned that I had hired Jen as my um, life coach, career coach person, because I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And what I wanted to do was to do editing. And that just was not what was done. Like, it was not going on to getting, like, not following a set path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, there's definitely, I, like, yeah. a maze to navigate to, like, yes. find that, like, figure out the way out, I guess, is the... Yeah. Yeah. And did you look... Um, how did you figure it out? Did you look for help? Did you have friends? Yeah, so in some ways, it's a short, it's a short answer. Um, <laughs> I had decided, you know, by the fall. So, you know, it's not so long. February finished, graduate in June, that fall is like, all right. <laughs> you know, I'm not actually a loser. Let's, you know, get real here somehow. So I was reading Versatile PhD. And I was mm-hmm. reading, you know, what colors your parachute and there's a wonderful um, organization called MyText here in Canada that offers free workshops at campuses all across uh, the country. So I was, anyway, so there was all this stuff that was happening at the same time. And uh, on Versatile PhD, there was a thread about informational interviews and I was reading what colors your parachute and, and I, yeah, I was signing up for these workshops and oh, informational interviews. Okay, that's something I have to do. Uh, and somebody had posted in the thread on Versatile PhD I have a cheat sheet about informational interviews. And if you want it, I'll just send it to you for free, you know, email me. And I was like, okay, whoever you are, I will sure, <laughs> you know, like I was like in the mode of like, all right, let's do this. Right. Well, it in turned front. out that was Hillary Hutchinson, uh, who is transitioningyourlife.com. And this was a marketing ploy for her. Genius, genius. Because <laughs> she, she sent me this PDF file and she said in her email, you know, by the way, I'm a career coach and I work with academics who are transitioning. You know, she probably phrased it like, you know, people just like you. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so I know I'd love to offer you a free session. And I was like, oh, well, thanks, world. You know, okay, cool. <laughs> I got nothing to lose, right? So right. it was great timing for me. And I talked with her. And, you know, as I said, I had savings. And so I was in a position financially to, to afford her. So that was fortunate, but it was, you know, it was a risk, right? I mean, it's a, not just a financial risk, but it was sort of an emotional risk um, to talk with a coach. And I just had never experienced working with someone like that before mm-hmm. yeah. where she wasn't, you know, I, th- I think it, it actually makes sense when people, folks think about it. You know, I had friends saying to me, you know, Jen, you'll never be happy outside of academia. Everyone's dumb. <laughs> you know that's just not helpful right like I just wasn't in that headspace anymore and you know I had my dad sort of you know stressing out about this why don't you just get a job and I had like a yelling match with a friend on the street like you need to just buy a house and get a job doing something and I'm like "Ah." (laughs) so much pressure wow that's a lot of outside pressure I don't remember exactly what she said but it's she probably you know the vibe is what I tell clients now and I think you guys will know what I mean it's like I don't care I mean, I don't care what you do. So I think that I got that vibe from her that she wanted, you know, for me to figure out what I wanted to do. And she didn't know what that was, but that she was optimistic and hopeful. And uh, anyway, so I worked with her. I did hire her and I worked with her, I I think, like pretty extensively for four months and then another month, I think, less frequently. Uh, And I pretty early on, I started to think to myself super sheepishly, oh, I want to do what you do, baby. (laughs) (laughs) And then... With the, I mentioned my tags. I was going to these workshops. I did two of them. And this one woman that was a workshop facilitator, she really impressed me. And I 
was impressed, you know, with the content and I got value out of the session, but I also found myself sort of taking it in on a different level on the level of like, oh, this is interesting work, right? Facilitating workshops. Uh, and then the second workshop I did with my tags, I didn't like the facilitator. So I was, <laughs> you know, I was already, I had already like moved to the, I could totally do better than this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I did informational interviews with coaches and I read about coaching and I investigated options. So, you know, I started working with Hillary in, in November, but it wasn't until the very end of May. So there, you know, the time oh, did yeah, pass. So- Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of May is when I decided that I would start a coach training course. So it was another one of these risks. Let me spend a bunch of money and do this. And I didn't know, again, I wasn't, I didn't know that I wanted to work as a coach necessarily, but it, I knew that I would value learning the, these skills because mm-hmm. it had helped me in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so late May, I started this coach course. And then a month after that, I had my first clients. And so, you know, Again, I was super fortunate because I had savings and I was able to do this, but that was four years ago, just about now. And it's just, there was no big plan (laughs) at all. I mean, I'm a little bit more strategic and planning like now, but uh, yeah, so that was, uh, it was good. It was good, you know, from the very first conversations I had with people like proto coaching sessions, where I didn't really know what I was doing. It was fun. It was rewarding. It felt like a challenge, but not like a challenge in the way that some of my PhD felt like bashing my head against the wall, like that kind of challenge. It was like a juicy, delicious challenge. <laughs> and yeah, and it want. seems something that keeps you, that then you found your passion, right? Because you sound so excited about you that excited. Like, that. yeah, <laughs> when, you yes. were like, when you're telling your story, you're just like, eh, you have your head kind of down and kind of yeah it's a big sign and then you're like and then I found this and you got like excited and hands going and stuff yeah and that's what you want yeah and you know I still haven't figured it all out but for the most part it's good and it's cool and there's you know stress and challenges but it's good (laughs) it's good and that's what this should be exactly so what does your day look like now? Because it's, it's you're self-employed. Like a lot of people have this idea of that you're, you know, down by the pool, sipping Mai Tais, <laughs> working on your laptop or something. That's what people tell me. They're like, oh, you're in Florida. So obviously you must be out in the pool like yeah. every day. And I was like, I work in my office. Sometimes yeah. with the I'm sorry, closed. Like, I, I, it would be amazing. <laughs> if in Toronto you're out at the pool sipping Mai Tais, like, well. you know what? Amazing. <laughs> I think that we need to find another metaphor for (laughs) Toronto. (laughs) There is my building. I live in an apartment building and I work from home. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you guys can see, you guys can see, but the listeners Mm -hmm. can't. But yeah, I'm in my apartment and I have a cat and she's on the table right now. She's usually occupying one third of my desk right beside me. (laughs) Um, So typical day. Uh, it varies, but I use most days, Monday to Thursday, most days I will have, you know, at least one client and then sometimes as many as four or five, although that's pushing it. And the clients are half an hour. And I include in that number uh, folks that I do initial consultations with. So this is for coaching. Um, I, I, yeah, I talk to people for free the first time and then we decide if they want to hire me. So I'll do a few of those sessions every day. Um, I work closely with Marin Wood uh, on Beyond the Professoriate. So we use a Slack uh, team, we're Slack team. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's yeah. lots of uh, slacking with her, <laughs> uh, which is a wonderful tool. And uh, we've got a, I've got a couple other folks, uh, freelancers that I work with. Uh, and so they're on Slack as well. Um, I check in with self-employed PhD 
So that's a, it's a website. So I, you know, I check in with that and there's an app for that, which I like. Um, I spend much less time than I used to on social media. Like me personally, I spend less time on that. Um, cause I have Brian who does that for me. I mean, the, 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 essentially I, I sit, I sit way too much at my computer. I mean, I should be standing on my standing desk. But the, truth <laughs> is, the truth is I do a lot of sitting on my computer and, um, I, it's, I still, you know, I still shake my head. I find it incredible. The amount of what I'll call broadly called administrative work there is to do, uh, with running your own business, because I, you know, I, and, and, and unlike other folks, like I don't really work with billable hours. I sell packages to my clients. And so it's kind of billable hours, but it's not really. And so the vast majority of my work week, I'm not getting paid um, directly. Um, yeah, it's, uh, and I, I do a lot of different things. I send emails and I network um, and I, and I'm, you know, I write content of various kinds, although I don't spend as much time as I would like doing that. Um, yeah, I can yeah. relate to that. Co- <laughs> not yeah, writing as much as things. you want. Okay. Butsing around with software, you know, with invoicing mm-hmm. programs and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Doing research about new software and blah, blah, blah. I feel you on the yeah. invoice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I don't, I, I, I spend a lot of time at my desk, but I don't, I probably don't do more than like six or seven, let's say six of actual work like actual purposeful work a day i probably don't do it you know it feels like more but you know there is you know there is some wasting time a little bit (laughs) not not as much as there used to be yeah but i think even if you're like in an office sort of situation then you're not really working from nine to five straight through because you're gonna talk to people yeah yeah at least i did absolutely absolutely and i there's definitely conversations it's impossible for a person to get your focus straight like a hundred percent for all this amount of time without breaks. Yeah. So right. I I really think that people can could work less time if they were able to focus more and then for a shorter period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I am a big fan of outsourcing. Uh, and mm-hmm. outsourcing to technological tools, software, but also outsourcing to individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, you know, they have to sort of strike a balance with that because I'm not making a lot of money. Um, so, <laughs> so it's, yeah. Anyways, yeah. But I try and as I try and balance that with, well, yeah, but if I don't do this task, then it frees me up. Um, and so that it's important for me to remember that, that I need, I need to be freed up so that I can do some of the creative intellectual work that I do need to do. Uh, right. and, and that's yeah. something that only you can do. Yeah. Right. Well, that'll, of course. <laughs> right. That'll yeah. get you to like, you know, Tony Robbins level in, in the coaching world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's the type of work that you don't know how long it's going to take. And it's very variable because some days you might think, okay, I got to write, but then you open the Word document and then you just stare the, yeah. at the blinking cursor there. Yeah. <laughs> and things always take longer than you think they should, except for the annoying stuff that you're avoiding. That tends to take less time. <laughs> but sometimes like for an, ex- an example, and I, I, tr- I don't do a lot of travel, but if, but I do occasionally will travel and I'll speak at a conference or on campus, a paid mm-hmm. gig. And, you know, shit, guys, like I can spend hours and hours and hours like 
filling in all the paperwork and putting together the invoice and gathering all the receipts. Like it could take me hours to do that after I come back from a trip and I, it blows my mind, but it does. <laughs> so there's just, yeah, shit takes time. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it does. And yeah, increasingly I feel like, I mean, I don't know, like for some reason there's like a, an anger or like an annoyance with the fact that many like professional people have that things take time. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it. like. I mean, I get frustrated with myself about this too, where it's like, uh, I only like the story I'm writing didn't click until, like you know, like I mean, I have like my full time job now, my day job, but um, I'm still trying to write, and like it's just you know, it's very frustrating when it's just like, oh yeah, that didn't click until like two weeks, and I was out for my walk, and it suddenly just popped into my head, and like, oh, that's how that's gonna work. It's like, okay, I guess that's how long it took. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's like, you know, I guess it's a frustration of the knowledge economy, right? And the service-based yeah. things. Anyway, sorry. That's my own little soapbox on this. Yeah. <laughs> and I think something a lot of PhDs probably face in their professional lives. Yeah. I got a lot less done than I imagined. <laughs> so yes. one of the changes yeah. I made like several months back was that I no longer have clients on Fridays. And you know, I start my Good weeks, choice. right? Yeah. And I yeah. start my weeks and Fridays are like blissfully empty, but by the end of the week, like Friday is totally full and there's still shit I didn't get done. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it always happens. It's just, you know, it just always happens. Yeah. I feel that Fridays, everybody's tired already from the week. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I normally, I spend a lot of time calling professors, clients, and I just... I try to focus my callings on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays because either maybe Monday afternoon, but definitely not Friday. Friday, I normally don't call anyone because one, it's super, it's hard to find someone that will answer the phone. And two, if they do, they don't want to talk to a salesperson on Friday. (laughs) (laughs) They don't. Well, even like I do with Bite Size, I do my client-based like content work. So we'll, you know, have companies and they want it, like they want things from us. And even then they're like, yeah, we're not going to do that. It's Friday. Nobody's going to look at this until Monday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That just so... happened. And I was like, oh, I was kind of surprised by this at first because I was like really used to academia where everybody is like, sure, I, I'll look at this at 10 o'clock on Friday night and get you something back by like 2 a.m. on Saturday. Whereas people and kind of companies are like, yeah, it's two o'clock on Friday and I go home at five. So... Right. It's I happy mean, hour. Yeah. I'm going yeah. to go to the pub at five. <laughs> right. I'm leaving right at five, if not 430, if I can, if I can handle that. I mean, there's like a natural slowdown too with that. Like in, I mean, I work for a company now that does, you know, like, I mean, we order lab supplies and stuff and like. A lot of things just will not ship on a Friday because they're gonna because they have to be frozen and kept oh, right. on temperature, right? And like it's like you know, scientists isn't gonna get their thing until probably next Tuesday because I mean, FedEx and UPS do fly on weekends, but like it's there really hard for a company to like ship to something receive, out the door right? on a Friday and like right. they, it's, it can't sit over the weekend, right? And so like it's like okay, we'll process your order, but like it's gonna ship Monday, deliver Tuesday because otherwise it could be compromised because it was warm for a while. And so like, there's a lot of things like that where it's like, yeah, just the natural cycle of the weekend, like slows things down. And 
like maybe academics are more willing to do their writing and intellectual work on Fridays because of that. I don't know, but it's interesting that like, there's this cycle and like the thing is like suppliers had to learn this too of like, oh yeah, we get a lot of complaints on Monday that the things arrive thawed out and you know at room temperature and like it's like oh this costs us a ton of money so we can't do that anymore. Um, yep. Yeah. So okay, sorry. Can we go back to the questions like as we're. Yes. Coming towards the, uh, the end-ish here. Okay, so I guess my last question is, do you have any advice for, like, your younger self or maybe other people who mm-hmm. are in similar positions? Right. That's exactly what I was going to ask, get to. Like, that was yeah. the question I was going to ask, too. Yeah. You know, I, I I don't mean any of this to sound super cheesy or, like, extra life coachy. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a but life I, coach. Right. Yeah, well, you know, let me embrace that. But, you know, I think, I think uh, it, it's important to value who you are and what you want and to just give yourself props and um, you know, what you value and what your priorities are. That's good. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. good. Um, And if it doesn't agree with what the world expects or what your professors want or, you know, your friends in academia or whatever, that's difficult. That's difficult. Um, But ultimately I mean, I'm optimistic about this. I, you know, there's, there is a, a community out there where you can find people that will be supportive of you. Um, and, you know, and maybe that means you hire a coach for a while uh, to build up, you know, your strength, <laughs> you know, and metaf- metaphorically speaking for this. But yeah, I think it's really important to just be okay uh, with, with, you know, who you are and where you're at. And, and to also to sit with ambivalence um, and to sit with uncertainty, which is really, really difficult. Um, and, and to focus on what you do know about who you are as a person and what your goals mm-hmm. are, because you probably haven't got it all figured out, but there are some things that you do know. There are some things that you do know. And, and it really helped me to just, it's kind of like, that's the pillar, you know, that shit is the foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you can tell I like metaphors, you know, you can build the, you can build the rest, but you know, if you have that pillar, that foundation, that's great like that's great you can you can just rest on there for a while yep yeah no i mean that yeah i mean that's fantastic i i just that just sparked something and in, in the last episode we recorded um that i don't know when it'll publish but we talked about like how like how you know what your skills are and transferable skills and like one thing that's interesting about that relates to what you said we talked about was like things that are easy for you to do, like it are probably very hard for other people and you just don't even realize, right? It's just like, what, that wasn't hard for me to do. Like I could just do that. And like, you know, realize that that is potentially a skill that you can take with you and apply and it's who you are and can take that, you know, as far as it'll go. And like, mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something that people aren't aware of it very often, right? It's very yeah, hard to yeah. be. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, it's, it's tough to be aware of that. It's an, right. You kind of do and just live your life and then you just assume that it's easy to everybody and oh, yeah. Like Amanda that uh, gives numbers to... Oh, yeah. <laughs> gives numbers feelings. Right. Or like, I think I use the example of like, I don't I don't think I've ever really feared the blank page. Like, I just, for some reason, know that, like, I will populate it somehow, and it's fine. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean that writing's easy, necessarily, but, like, it's almost the least of 
anything that I put out, like any content I produce, I'm like, you know, the writing's the least of it. Like everything else that goes into it and the thinking and like hammering out the ideas and the research. That's hard. The writing, I'm like, it'll get done. Like I'll Yeah, for me is like what's the like networking and talking to people, just getting there and saying, Hi, I'm Clady, and nice meeting you and being BFF after ten minutes of conversation. I think it's super easy. And I'm like, how can you not do it? You know? <laughs> no, it's so hard. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That no, is it's like, not. It's not. It is super so, hard. Anyway, sorry. We're just giving some, like, examples of mm-hmm. what you're, I think you were just talking about, Jen, of, like, knowing yeah. who you are and figuring that out. Yep. Um, and, then, and that can actually be a good guidepost, right? Yeah. And don't, don't, just because it's easy and you like it and you get energized, it doesn't mean it's not valuable. Yes. Exactly. Right? We often think, yes. oh, that's nothing. That's easy. And anyone can mm-hmm. do that. No, 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 no. Right. It, right. <laughs> it, exactly. Yeah. I think that's precisely. Yeah. That's, it, yeah. Like, you know, it doesn't, there's, there's no, I don't think there's any value in doing something that makes you feel like you're bashing your head against the wall. Of course, in any job, there's going to be moments where you might feel that way. But for the most part, admin work. Oh. For the most Part, yeah. it right, should exactly. be good it should be energizing right for the most part because uh, that'll you know, keep in you sustained in doing it yeah you should have more good days than bad days yeah 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 and that's good <laughs> right and that should be the goal yeah okay so i think that's a good place to end our interview with jen polk um you can find her at from phd to life.com you can also find her at on twitter at and I think I'm right, at From PhD to Life. And if you're interested in Beyond the Professoriate, it, it, you can go to what beyondprof.com. Is it? beyondprof.com or selfemployedphd. You can go to selfemployedphd.com. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of things. <laughs> Good memory. Well done. Yeah. Jen's going to quiz me afterwards and make sure I got it all right. <laughs> so... We want to thank Jen for coming on and yes, thank being you, Jen. our guest. We really appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you, Jen. And sorry that we kind of spoke a little too much, I guess, and stole <laughs> your interview. Yes. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Thank but you. But it was great. <laughs> and we'll talk to you all next time. Okay. Bye. Yeah, right. See you next time. Bye. Bye. This week's Recovering Academic is sponsored by Scientific Dispatches Consulting, an editorial service for scientists. They specialize in helping you tell your research story clearly and concisely. Scientific Dispatches offers consulting, editing, writing, and presentation preparation services. You can find out more and schedule a free consultation at scientificdispatches.com. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Academic Podcast. Our music is from bensound.com under a Creative Commons license. If you like our podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps other people find out about us. You can tweet the show at RecoveringAcad. You can also find all of the hosts on Twitter. I'm at LadyScientist. I'm at Dr. Underscore PMS. And I'm at IH Street. We're also on Facebook. You can find us at Facebook.com slash RecoveringAcademicPodcast. You can find all of our episodes and subscribe to our newsletter on our website at recoveringacademic.net. And don't forget, there is sunshine outside the ivory tower.